funny because I'm preaching a little bit on pride tonight, and it's really hard not to be prideful as Don just fills me up with all these good things. Okay, um, I just want to start with a prayer just real quick. Um, Heavenly Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit fill this room right now. We know that you're already here. We just ask for humility right now. When we talk about sin, we know it's hard, and we just ask that we humble ourselves before you, Lord. Hide me behind the cross. Any error or mistake that I say or make today, just uh, allow that to be forgotten and your truth known and taken out of here. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So I'm super excited and super nervous to talk to you guys today. Super excited because I'm very passionate about what I'm about to preach. I've learned it. I've experienced it. I'm going to share a little bit about it in my testimony. Um, I'm nervous because it's such a heavy topic. We're talking about sin and there's just really no easy way to sugarcoat sin. It's, it's a hard topic to talk about, and I'm going to try to lighten it up a little bit. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you know the ending, and you know it ends well. Um, <laughs> if you don't, I'm going to tell you the ending, and I'm going to tell you that it ends well. So look forward to that at the end. Um, a little bit about me. So yes, I, I went to Wesley Seminary, graduated from there. Um, not always a super great kid. I uh, got arrested when I was 18. I was a terrible kid in high school, didn't get good grades and everything. Ended up going to Iowa. Who here goes to Iowa? Went, went, goes. One <laughs> year, okay. So we're outnumbered, that's okay. I went to Iowa, and like my sophomore year, I just felt this really heavy call to ministry. Now before then, I have always been called I felt to law enforcement, to police work, which I am now. Amen. But definitely this weird call to ministry. And God has taken me on this really strange journey, um, this ministry journey through law enforcement. So, and also the army, which I'll get to here in a second. So I st started in prison, I, not while I was in prison, but I took... <laughs> I didn't get convicted of the crime that I got arrested for, but I did, I did go to jail for, for a few hours. Crazy. Um, but I had a professor at Iowa, and he, and he brought us into the prisons, and he started doing this prison ministry. And talk about a huge humbling experience, hearing these guys' stories. And me, as wanting to be a cop, I always just kind of thought, these are the bad guys that I'm going to be chasing, and these are the guys that I'm going to be getting. Well, before I was ever a cop, I was able to go and talk to these these. Um, pretty intense criminals. I mean, we had murderers, we had, um, you know, everything up to murder. <laughs> so it, it was pretty intense, and it was really cool, but very, very humbling hearing their stories and got, getting to minister, minister to them. I met a lot of cool people through that, um, people that were victims of really harsh crimes, and they had forgiven their offender, and then they would go back into prison and just talk to the inmates, which was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could do that. And then also, guys have been convicted of convicted felons, and then they were going back into prison and talking to these guys, trying to bring them out. So awesome, so humbling. So after I got out of college, um, Couple things. Well, I've been in the army since I was 17, so I've been in the army a long time. The last five years, I've been a chaplain, um, part time. So I'm, I'm both a police officer and a chaplain in the military. And here's the irony in this, which everyone finds really interesting. Everyone finds that interesting in general, but this is really what's interesting. In the Army, according to some of the federal laws, I'm not allowed to carry arms. I can't carry a firearm, a sidearm, or anything like that. As a chaplain, we have to be unarmed. But then in my civilian job, I'm a cop, so I'm armed all the time. People think that's weird that I go to the Army and I don't touch guns, I can't shoot guns, I can't do anything. <laughs> and then. 40, 50, 60 hours a week when I'm at, at work doing stuff with work, I'm always strapped. So people find that weird. 
Um, everyone loves a cool cop story, so I'm going to start up with one that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, we had a shooting one night. I worked third, I still work third shift, always work third shift. We had a shooting one night, and um, I was just right around the corner. Shooting comes out, they give out the description of the guy who was doing the shooting, and I turn all my lights off, and I pull in the alley, and I see him jump out, please stop, and he takes off running. So we're running through these houses, and it's pretty snowy. It's uh, snowier than it is now, but it, it was about six inches of snow. And so we're running between all these houses, trying to lose me and all this kind of stuff. Well, I was trying to figure out where I was and looking at street signs and stuff, and we, we came out to the street, and I just ate it. And I just face-planted, and I was, like, skidding across the ground. It, and I made a loud, like, oof or something like that. And the guy that I was chasing actually turned around and said, like, bro, you okay? <laughs> I was like, get over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Police work, I talk about this unique ministry. Um, it's, it's presented a lot of really cool opportunities for ministry. One night, I was, uh, it was super slow, super cold, and I see a guy kind of wandering around the streets, and he's like looking down like he's looking for something. So I stop, and I ask him, I'm like, hey, man, what are you looking for? He's like, I lost my wedding band. I knew that I, I walked through here, and I, and I knew that um, I dropped it somewhere around here. And talk about like, the Holy Spirit calling. We, we talked for... I don't know, good, almost an hour. We talked and we prayed and it was really cool. And I'm like, hey man, like, what's your name? And he tells me and I'm like, go back to my computer and look, wanted. So I was, <laughs> we had this great conversation, we prayed and then I had to turn around and take him to jail. <laughs> Usually it's the opposite. So the, actually the cool, the, cool, the cool ministry happens when I'm already taking someone to jail and they can't get away from me. So I'm like, hey, let's talk about Jesus. You don't like it? Too bad. We're going to talk about Jesus. Um, okay, in all seriousness, it's really cool because um, when those guys are in the lowest positions that they are, recently, I'll give just one more story. Recently, a guy had overdosed. Once again, I get there. He was, uh, if you've never seen an overdose, that's a very traumatic thing for someone who's never seen it. Um, they look like they're dying. There's not much I can do. Narcan is really the only thing that can happen and, or have any effect. And I don't have Narcan. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting. He gets up. He had a bunch of drug stuff on him, so he was going to go to jail after he, uh, after, he, uh, after he got out of the hospital. So I stayed at the hospital for about two hours. They observe him. And that was just a really cool conversation of like, hey, man, like, what brought you to this position? And life, and, and he talked and talked about how he got better, and he had a wife, and, and how they're kind of tired of it. And once again, we were able to just pray and um, have a good conversation with God. Now, I don't ever see the end result. I, I rarely see the end result of these, but I just feel like that, um, that God has really called me to this unique ministry. Now, Army Chaplaincy, it's, it's similar and it's different in different ways. Um, or similar in some ways, different in others. Um, but it's not without its challenges. Um, not, so I, I'm in, a, in an infantry unit. If you don't know what the infantry is, it's like the frontline guys. It's the guys that go ahead of everyone else, do most of the fighting and that kind of thing. And um, not many of them, the small majority are like, you know, yes, go God, strong Christian. And, and I have a really good relationship with my soldiers that are Christians. It's all the other ones um, that... You know, they give me a hard time just, just because I'm a chaplain. I wear a cross on my chest so everyone knows exactly who I am if they don't know me already. Um, and I, I did a favor for a soldier that I knew I was good friends with. She's like, hey, I'm getting married. She's getting married to a Marine. Can you do our wedding? I said, yeah. Went and did their wedding. And uh, it, was in, it was in Pittsburgh. 
So I drove all the way there, did it for free for him and everything, and then the reception comes, and I, it was a signed seating, a very, very fancy, um, fancy place, signed seating, so I sit down, and it was the family of the groom, who I didn't know all that well. I, I knew him, um, but I didn't know his family all that well. And they were like so anti-God and so anti-anyone that had to do anything with God that they were like, oh, the, the minister's sitting with us. I'm like, okay, yeah, awkward, whatever. And they're like, can you like maybe find a different seat? And I was like, really? We're gonna, you're going to kick me out of your table? Okay. So I got up and, and I went to like the host. Once again, it was a really fancy place. I went to the host and they were like, um, they were like, no, there's no more seats. There's no more seats. And so I just ended up going home. We were going to stay the night. I ended up driving home. And I never told the bride and groom about that. It wasn't their fault. But um, it's just a challenge. It's a challenging ministry, but it's super, super interesting. And I get to meet a lot of people that would never step their door or step into the doors of a church. It's really, really cool. Um, I wanted to share those things with you um, just to tell you that I deal with a lot of sin, and this is why I feel like I'm both passionate and qualified to, to kind of give this sermon on sin, because I deal with it every single day. And the police side, no one's calling the police because their day has gone great, and they want to tell me about how awesome their lives are. No, I'm going to deaths, suicides, homicides, you know, all the sexual crimes, all this kind of stuff, fights, family issues, those are all the things that I'm going through, all having to deal and rooted in sin. On the chaplaincy side, same thing. I never get the phone call, I'd be like, hey, Chappie, how's it going? How, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. No, it's like, hey, so-and-so had a death in the family, can you reach out to them? Or so-and-so's going through a divorce, can you help, can you, can you talk to them? So it's always just sin. I'm just like, dive feet first into sin. So today, I'm gonna talk about sin. I'm gonna talk about a few things. I'm gonna talk about what sin is. I'm gonna talk about what it does to humanity, and why I think it's important that we study sin, especially in the light of what Christ uh, did for us on the cross. Um, this is really just going to set us up for this series, is what I'm, I'm hoping, that we can kind of take some of these, these terms and, and things and propel us into the rest of the series. But I want to give um, just a quick disclosure before I do. So when we talk about sin, I think... Um, it's easy for like our feelings to really be stirred, our emotions to be stirred, especially if we're convicted of a sin. Um, maybe it's a, a sin that we haven't brought to God yet or asked for forgiveness or don't feel like we've been forgiven of. Or maybe it's something that we already have asked God for forgiveness, but it's starting to bring up those feelings again. Um, I don't want you to think that I'm here trying to make you feel shame. In fact, I'm trying to show you that we should feel the opposite when responding to sin. Um, it was funny because when I was, uh, when I was practicing this sermon, I was doing it in front of Dawn on Friday, and on our way home, she was like, you know, Joe, before you can preach on this, there's, these, there's this issue with a coworker that you really should address before you can preach on this. So I was even convicted of something while giving my own sermon. Um, and so it's okay, but just know that instead of running away from God in shame when, when those feelings come up, what we should be doing is running towards God in humility to lay our burdens down at the cross, okay? Um, okay, so the three elements. Once again, I'm going to define what sin is. I'm going to talk about what it does to humanity and why it's important to reflect. Where we're going to be today, if you guys would like to turn there, is Genesis 3. Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Um, 
Genesis 3 is where mankind falls into sin. I'm super weirdly passionate about Genesis 3. I think it can, I think it just, it really shows what Christ did on the cross, what, what he saved us from. Uh, I think it's a really important passage in scripture. I'm going to read it. Verses 1 through 13. I believe what I have is the NIV, if that matters to you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who with her and he ate it, who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman put me here, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. I believe that what most people think the first sin was, was Eve eating the fruit. But it's actually not the case. There's something that happened inside Eve's heart before she ever ate the fruit that is what caused her to fall. Just like us, there's a whole host of things and corruption in our heart that happen before we ever commit an outward action that is sin. Let's look at verse 1. Satan tempts Eve by twisting God's words. He said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He responded with God's truth, which showed that she knew, she definitely knew the truth. She knew what she was, she was talking about. She had no excuse. Then Satan tempts her again. You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from, the eyes, from, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we know that the act of being tempted is not a sin. Christ was tempted by Satan. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But then, when he's, but then we read this, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. At this point, Eve had fallen. Before she ever ate the fruit, she fell from the Lord. Why? Before she ate the fruit, she lost her faith in God. She doubted the truth that God gave her and the guidance that the Lord had given them. She trusted Satan's word over that of the Lord. She no longer trusted that God's boundaries were the best for her and Adam. Um, Look at at what Jesus does to Peter when they're walking on the water. Uh, Peter looks away and Jesus says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter's sin of doubt is what caused him to fall into the water. James is, uh, 
similar. He says, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I would make the argument that doubt was actually the first sin committed, which is what caused us to, be, uh, to fall from the Lord through Adam and Eve. Now there's a second act, a second thing that happened in Eve's, in Eve's heart that happened before she ate the fruit. Once she doubted, she then relied on her own understanding to make the decision that she thought was better than God's will. When she made that decision to eat the fruit, she was so full of pride in her own self-consuming that she thought she knew more than God. Proverbs 18.12 confirms this. It says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. In Hebrew, the word haughty is translated to, like, to be high, to be exalted, um, to, uh, proud or arrogant. Eve unjustly exalted herself above God and took it amongst herself to eat the fruit. So this is important. Why? It's important because the first sin was not eating of the fruit. It was when Eve considered eating the fruit that she fell. At that point of consideration, doubt and pride had already taken root and she fell away from the Lord. As, as we look at our own lives, we need to understand that before every act of outward sin, there's all of this pride and doubt going on in our own heart before we ever make that decision. When we're starting to consider that, uh, we've already sinned. Jesus confirms this in Matthew 5, 27. Specifically, he's talking about sexual sin, but he says, I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So once again, what is sin? I think that the first sin is doubt and pride. And I think that every outward sin that we do and commit can be rooted in doubt and pride, and pride in our heart. Okay, number two. So what does it do to humanity? Now that we know what the first sin is, the first sin happened, mankind fell away from God, now what? Adam and Eve's immediate response was to hide and lie to the Lord. They heard him walking in the garden and tried to hide and then blame Satan and each other for the decisions. Ultimately, what it did was break their relationship with the Lord. It was no longer, the world was no longer what God had intended. And that, affects every single, that affected every single human after that. Think about it. Look how fast humanity degraded after the fall. Cain, the second, the second generation of humans, Cain murdered Abel. Then by the time of Noah, the Lord says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. That was just that by the time of Noah. So he destroyed the earth, and then it was up to Noah and his family, family to repopulate the earth. But shortly after that, you have Sodom and Gomorrah at the time of Abraham. And well, you have the Tower of Babel first. They fall away from God, the Tower of Babel. And then you look forward a little bit further, and you have God tried to address that by scattering them, the Tower of Babel. And then you look forward, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're still falling. And if you read some of the language about Sodom and Gomorrah, it's pretty awful pretty awful, so I didn't want to read it in front of the kids. But the Lord says this, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. That was Genesis 18. This has all happened within a few hundred years. Um, Don and I were talking. We realized this not studying, doing the sermon, but we decided, or I decided to throw it in there. Shem, Noah's son, 
he's kind of an interesting character because he was alive before the flood, right? So he saw how corrupt humanity had gotten before the flood. And of course, he went through the flood. And then he was alive for several hundred years after the flood. He was actually alive during the time of Abraham. Or they overlapped very shortly, which is pretty amazing to me. So he saw, once again, how bad humanity was before the flood. He saw the flood. And then he saw how far his descendants fell once again right after the flood, after the amazing things that he did. And I can only imagine being Shem and just being completely torn, seeing like, look how fast humanity just keeps degrading, keeps degrading. Sin is like a hereditary disease and is passed down to everyone. Each of Adam's descendants inherits the guilt of original sin. Our heart is corrupt from the very beginning. From birth, we are bent towards rebelling against God. It manifests in our actions, and then we willingly sin against God through our actions. Um, furthermore, we even sin when we don't mean to. Maybe we have, like, good intentions. Uh, we we want to be, uh, you know, we want to act good. You think of people outside of the church, and they're like, yeah, that's a really good person. Well, they're not. They're, they're falling away from God. Um, even by our best efforts, good is corrupt. Without God's grace and salvation, there is no good. If you spend any time in the book of Romans, then you know that Paul is very, very clear on this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.32. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. That's Romans 5, 12, and 14. The mind governed by the flesh is death, Romans 8, 6. John says in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now we're going to get pretty dark. Sin is nothing to shrug off. It affects everything. Sin is the root of all horrible things, such as the genocide in the early church in Rome um, it's the root of every war, every corrupt government, the Holocaust, 9-11, whatever you want to plug in there. It's the, it's the root of all of those. If none of that is personal enough, think of it this way. Sin is the root of your child's bad behavior. It's the root of every abusive father's hurtful words and actions. It's the root of every bitter thought a wife may have for their husband Every selfish ambition that a husband puts over his family, every judgmental thought you have towards maybe your roommate's mess in their dorm, every time you visit that website to look at porn, every hateful thought that you have towards that coworker, sin is the root. Sin is the root of depressions, hold over your emotions, which leads to hopelessness. Suicides lie that it makes your pain go away. Every sickness, disease, and death all are rooted in sin. It affects us every day and in every way. It's also something that we struggle and fight with every day. I'll be as bold to say that we, can, we commit sin every day even if we don't intend it. We can sin by choosing to act we can sin by choosing to act against God's will, or we can sin by choosing not to do the things that God has called us to done, do. <laughs> we can sin by choosing not to do the things that God has called us to do. 
This was the purpose of the whole Old Testament law, right? Is to reveal that it is impossible for us to live perfectly up to God's standards without him. It's impossible to be perfect. It's uncomfortable to address, but sin has weaved its way into our lives in countless ways. It wrecks our relationships with, our, with each other and with God. And because of it, we fall short of God's glory and deserve death and to be completely separated from God. Okay. That's, that's heavy. I even have a note. Pause to address the heaviness. Because that is, that is heavy. It's actually so heavy that it's a burden we can't bear. So now it's time for the good news. Now it's time for the good news. Christ has overcome the power of sin. He beat it. He conquered Satan. Because of that, we have hope. And because of only that, we have hope. Here's a cool connection between Adam and Eve and Jesus. Remember, Eve was tempted. She was tempted in three ways. I'm not going to dive too deep into this, but uh, she was tempted in three ways. It was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for wisdom. When God cursed the serpent, he said that the offspring of woman will crush the serpent's head. This was a prophetic statement from God about Christ. God had already had a plan to conquer sin the moment after it happened. Fast forward to Jesus in chapter 4. Satan tempted Jesus in the way that he tempted Eve. He beat the temptation. He was not guilty of pride. He never considered that his will was ever better than that of the Father. He was also never guilty of, uh, of pride, and he never shot down, and he shot down Satan's temptation to rule. Satan, or I'm sorry, Jesus was never guilty of any inward or outward sin that man was. However, he still took on our guilt and sacrificed himself upon the cross for our salvation. When he did that, Christ finished the work and crushed Satan's head. And in so doing, every manifestation of sin has been crushed in the process. This only means that we can be saved. This is the only means that we can be saved. It is, our own, it is only by the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are saved. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives that sanctifies us, guiding us to living a good and upright life just as Christ intended. So why do we need to be reminded of sin? Why is it important for us to kind of study and reflect on sin um, if Christ has already conquered it? Because when we look at sin, we, in the light of what Christ has done, it destroys doubt. Remember that first sin that Eve committed? And it des destroys pride. So there's two things. When we reflect on it, it humbles us. And I'm going to try to stay rooted in Scripture here. Scripture is very clear that there is favor with God when we humble ourselves and recognize our sin. If we ignore the reality of sin in our lives, then we start to kind of be puffed up, um, a little too confident in ourselves, a little too confident in our, in our goodness. And, you know, I saw this a lot in, in prison. Um, guys who, say, you know, committed just battery with, uh, or aggravated battery. You know, I'm not as bad as the guys that commit, committed murder, right? Um, and I think as Christians, it's easy to do that. Uh, I'm not as bad as the criminals on the street. I'm not as bad as the, the drug user or the robber or X, Y, and Z, right? This is why it's constantly 
important, it's important for us to constantly be humbled. If you need an example of this, look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So let me uh, allow Scripture to kind of speak for itself here. All the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the message is the same. First Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Micah 6.8 should be familiar for you. And what does the Lord God require? To act justly, love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Proverbs 3.34, He mocks the proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 22.4, humility is the fear of the Lord. Romans 12, for by the grace given, given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And last one, James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. <clears throat> a recent study was done by Ligonier and they surveyed evangelical Christians and it showed on that survey that 66% of evangelicals believe that they are basically good. If I haven't made my case yet, that is a lie that is Satan is teaching them. We are not good, and we need Christ. When we start thinking that we are basically good, it drastically reduces the amount we think we need Christ. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What I'm saying here is just acknowledge your position before God through what I do, and I'll explain here in a second, is through regular confession. Um... Before I get to that, what, I'm, what I don't want you to hear, once again, I don't want you to feel shame because of our position, right? Um, shame would look like hiding and lying to the Lord like what Adam and Eve did. We don't feel that. We come running to the Lord, running to the cross, and putting our burdens down with humility. That's the difference between humility and shame. We come to Christ with confidence, not fear. So I went to a really liturgical church growing up, um, definitely a lot of pros and cons to it. One of the things that I, I really liked and I kind of took with me, as a regular part of worship, we would go into a, a, a place of like corporate confession for a church. We would stand up, we would read a confession, and then there would be a pause, and it would be time for personal confession, and then we would take communion. And we did that every single week. Now there's arguments, pros and cons, why we should do that. I'm not trying to say that Kingdom Life should change and do communion every week. I will say that Nick said he really liked the idea of doing communion every week. So that wasn't my idea. Definitely wasn't my idea. Um, here's what it looks like for me. So I just have a I just have a a app on my phone, and before I sit down to study scripture, before I sit down in prayer, I just go over this con this confession app. Um, when we would do it in church, and, and Nick and I were kind of connecting over this, he's like, that, that pause when you're supposed to like go over, you, you know, personal confession, it's never long enough, because when you get in that position where you're just kind of just confessing to the Lord and really have that moment, then it's like, okay, now we're moving on. Like, wait, I only got, <laughs> I only got Monday's sin done. Okay, that. Joking aside, what I'm not saying, I don't want you to feel like you need to address every single sin that you commit or else that sin's going to go unforgiven. 
That's not what God wants. God's not trying to make it hard. That's extremely legalistic and extremely wrong, okay? But it is okay to regularly come before Christ in, in confession, especially for those sins that really weigh on your, on, your, on your soul, to come and present those to the Lord. That humbles us, and it starts to kind of tear away at that, that heart sin of pride. So that's the first one. It humbles us, right? Second one, the reason why I think we should understand sin and, and study it regularly is because it helps us deal with the realities of this world. When we know what sin has done to humanity, then we can better grasp the terrible things that happen to us and around us without doubting the goodness of God. This one's hard because I don't, I don't want to step on anyone's toes too much. You know, um, if you're on social media uh, at all, then you see the like ex-evangelism movement and the uh, deconstruction of faith movement. And um, my social media is like the algorithm is now to where like it shows me that all the time. And it really breaks my heart, especially as so many prevalent, I'll, I'll say famous Christians in different lights and different preachers, different um, you know, songwriters and things. Um, as, as they go through the, this phase. And as I listen to them, what I see a lot of, and I'm hearing, they start to doubt because they see all these things that happen in the world, excuse me, the things that happen to them and around them. Maybe something happened to them, a tragedy happened to them, or they know someone, and, and, and they start asking, how would a good God allow blank to happen to me? I think this is a huge misunderstanding of Scripture and what God has planned. Um, I think we can explain the lack of faith and doubt is caused by failing to acknowledge the reality of sin and its effect on the world. This is rooted in Scripture. God never promised an easy life. In fact, he ensures us that we will face hardships, even death, when we follow him. This is an extremely hard pill to swallow, and I feel like I can preach on it, and I'm going to give you my testimony here in just a second. Why does he say that we're going to face these hardships? Because we still live in a world full of sin. And I just went over all of the things sin, sin did. Through Christ, however, we can have faith that God will give us strength, hope, wisdom, and perseverance to face the challenges that we experience in this world. If you look at James 1, James is so bold to tell us that we should have joy when we go through our trials. That's, that's hard. Joy, not doubt. In fact, he says that we can't have doubt. If we have doubt, we can't have that wisdom that he, that he gives us. So how can I testify to this? I'm going to give you a personal example of mine that really tested my faith. So some of you know, some of you don't. I was married before. I got married um, right out of college. She's my college sweetheart. Um, we both love the Lord. Uh, and we're really passionate for the Lord. I was feeling this calling that I talked about towards ministry. She was a pastor's kid. She was also feeling this call towards ministry. She actually served as a children's pastor for a little while. She was, uh, she was in the army with me, and she was gone for some training. And she revealed to me about three years into our marriage that she had been living in and was going to continue living in all kinds of sexual sin and infidelity. Very, very hard for me to go through. Very, very hard for me to, uh, to comprehend. And so I go to God, 
And I think the temptation was, well, none of this even matters. I did all the right things. We said all the right prayers. We spent time in prayer. Lord, we were living towards you. How on earth could you allow me to go through this? It's funny, once I look back at it, because I would preach a similar thing to my soldiers all the time. I would talk about, okay, all these bad things are going on in your life. And I would just say, I just wish you had this foundation that helps you understand why that God knows you're going to go through a hard time, and he promises you all these things when you go through a hard time, and it's really hard telling someone that's going through that to have all these things. Does that make sense? So I preached a lot, have this foundation, so when you come to a trial, you can stand on that foundation, that faith foundation. I preached this enough that I started thinking, you know my life's pretty easy. I wonder when I'm going to go through a trial. And and I kid you, I'm not making this up. I even said, I'm like, okay. And I just really felt like God was preparing my heart. Like, you're going to go through something hard. You're going to go through something hard. This is why I'm preparing you to preach this. You're going to go through something hard. And I, and I told God, I said, you know what? That's okay. I can lose my job. I can lose my career. Whatever you do, please don't take my wife. That's what I said. I kid you not. And I don't think that he, he did not take my wife, but he definitely allowed her to fall. And, uh, and I tried. I, I, I persevered through it try to make it work, and, and it didn't. She, she made, and I don't, I want to respect her by not writing on her too much, but she made it clear that she was going to live in this sin, and she was going to continue living in this sin. Um, so we ended up getting a divorce. <clears throat> My response to that as I was going through that was this. I, 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 right at the beginning, it was just like, God, why, God, why? And I'm like, hey, I've been studying this. God, I'm going to really lean into you. And, and James 1 really became such a, inspiration for me, but also just this understanding of sin. I'm like, okay, God, I know that I live in a sinful world. You told me I was going to go through these trials. Now I'm just trusting you instead of having doubt. Um, and he was incredibly faithful. So if any of you here are going through a hard time, just hear it from me. That was the hardest thing that I probably could have gone, definitely at the time, I could go through. Um, and I was the Holy Spirit led me to lean into my faith, and God was faithful. I went through that trial, but God was faithful. So to recap, why do we, why do we uh, look at sin? It gives us humility, and it helps us understand the reasons we go through the hard times and the hard things that we do. I'm going to call the worship band back up for just a few minutes. There's going to be a time... Um, Actually, now. Worship band can come up now. There's going to be a time for uh, a personal, uh, just time with the Lord after this. I think it can, once again, it can bring up a lot of things that go on in our own life. But I just, I, I just want to leave you with this. Sin is incredibly powerful and it affects us every day. It causes us doubt and to be so prideful over what God has planned for us. When conceived, then outward sin is born and we continue to fall away from God. But when we look at sin through the lens of Christ, it has no power over us. It has no power over us anymore. Instead, we are humbled and our faith is strengthened to become more like Christ. I hope I leave you with that today. Can we pray? Almighty God, we just come to you right now in a position of humility. Lord, your word is very clear that we do not deserve, we do not deserve you. We have fallen, we have sinned, 
And we take on that burden as our ancestors did long ago, and we carry that with us. But Lord, we thank you so, so much for your son who you sent to die, who was perfect, yet accepted and took on that guilt and paid the price for us. Now we are free from sin. We are free from all of those things that sin is. We are empowered to live in holiness as you call us and draw us. Lord, I just ask confession right now that you just honor this church, Lord, and the church in the world, Lord. We know that we're not perfect. The church is just a bunch of imperfected, imperfected people worshiping a perfect God. As we continue worshiping you in the weeks to come, Lord, I just ask that you draw us close. Humble us. And as things happen to us and around us that make us question you, Lord, give us faith to lean into you for our strength. 